It is Thursday, February 16th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. Down goes number one. And Chris Beard has his charges dropped. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Number one, Alabama falls on Rocky Top. Joel Embiid, not sure if he'll play in the All-Star game. And the Travis County DA has dropped the case against former Texas coach Chris Beard. What is the Vegas lead, Scott? The system, AJ. The system. The system as number one, Alabama. Alabama. Goes down to Tennessee, number 10 in the nation. And I got so excited on yesterday's show. Because you called it a super system. Because it was a super system for me. It was the normal system play, lower ranked team, higher ranked team, lower ranked team is a favorite. And it was a double super quiet, whatever system you want to call it. Because... It was fading the brand-new number one. Alabama just got that fancy number one next to their name, and I love fading the team in that situation. Tennessee wins and covers 68-59. How impressed were you by this performance? Uh, You have to give credit to Tennessee, who went in without uh, Triple J, as they call him, Josiah Jordan-James, and one of their key guys, one of their most versatile guys, that's what I, I kept me from playing the system today. I, I backed off of it because the Tennessee injury news wasn't great. Uh, but an, an elite defensive performance once again, and you hold Alabama to 59 points, you've done something right and something very difficult to do. And that's all, that's kind of the the worry with Tennessee is like, – the worry is certainly not their defense. Mm-hmm. We, defensively, they're, they're as good as anyone in the country any given night. They are very difficult to score on. It's just a matter of what kind of points are they going to put up. They're number one in defensive efficiency on per, per Ken Palm, number 54 in offensive efficiency. So you you never know if you're going to get enough scoring to get the job done out of them. Their loss last last Wednesday to Vanderbilt, they lost 66 to 65. You hold a team to 65 to 66 points, you ought to win. You got you got to be able to score some. Same with the Florida loss before that. So the fact that they were able to limit Alabama, who's an elite offensive team, Mm -hmm. and still score enough points to get the job done, it's a good thing for Tennessee, who honestly, before this game, were in kind of a tailspin. They'd lost three out of four games. People were starting to doubt them as a top-tier team. Remember, this was a team that that started out the season 18-3, and and they were surefire number one team in the country. And since then, they'd lost three or four before this, and now they're sitting at 20 and six, uh, getting themselves back into a good position with a strong finish to the season. They'll be favored in every game for the rest of the season, at least before the SEC tournament. And to, so they're, they're positioned to finish strong, likely put themselves into a number one seed. Okay. Uh, let me ask you Saturday afternoon, they're on the road at Kentucky. What's the spread? What do you think the spread's going to be? What does Ken Palm say? What's the spread in that game? Uh, I'm guessing it'll be three and a half. Let me see. Ken Palm says four. 
is Tennessee a, is that a fade spot for Tennessee? Coming off this big win against number one at home, now you go on the road to face a lesser Kentucky opponent. You're you're playing Kentucky. They lost to Kentucky at home this season. That was the, that was a huge loss so for a, them. So it's a revenge spot. Okay. Yeah, I there's didn't that. no way they're looking past Kentucky. Okay. So, uh, and I I think when you play basketball in the SEC, when when Kentucky's down, they're still Kentucky. You know, a couple years ago in, in you know, in football, let's look at football as a, an example, or, or Clemson this year in college football. When you play Clemson, even if they're not the same Clemson they've been the three or four years prior, they're still Clemson. You give them your best shot. When you play Notre Dame, mm-hmm. they, you, they get your best shot in college football. When you play USC, everybody gets up to play USC. I think in the SEC, everybody gets up to play Kentucky, even the guys at Tennessee. So I, I don't expect a letdown spot here, especially because that when they beat them in Knoxville, it was a huge deal because Kentucky or Tennessee was playing the best basketball they played all season. Kentucky was flailing, and they went and, and handled Tennessee. Mm. I expect a, actually a, a pretty strong effort from the Vols this weekend. What did you make of the uh, Marquette last-second victory over Xavier? Last night, a lot of excitement, lot a uh, lot different game than I expected. Now, Marquette they didn't cover; they were like six, seven. Point they favorites. were six point six okay. to seven point favorites. You're right. Uh, no, they they didn't cover. They had a putback dunk with no time <laughs> oh, left wow. to win the game. So, but it was just it was a lot different game than I expected because these are two teams not known for defense. These are two. Uh, particularly uh, Xavier is a bad defensive team and they both play at a high tempo. So two high level offenses, uh, I would have expected a game in the eighties. So this game being 69, 68 was a bit of a surprise. And really what it boiled down to was just some, some inefficient shooting, particularly early from Marquette. Marquette could not get their offense going early in the game. And the pace, it just ended up kind of getting away from them uh, from being the kind of game that they like to play. But they're happy to get out of there with a win, certainly. Uh, their backers, not so much. But they've got a big game. They get the weekend off. Their next game is against Creighton at Creighton. That's one of the, the biggest matchups left on, on the Big East schedule. You know, last night there was, I remember on yesterday's show we said, oh, maybe it's a system play depending on what the spread was. Northwestern at home against number 14, Indiana. Indiana closed as the favorite in that game, so it wasn't. Yeah, point, point and a half. Yeah, it wasn't a system play, but Northwestern wins the game outright. Yeah, Northwest, Northwestern gets the job done, and, and this Northwestern team, if you were, you know, when you talk about coming off a spot, uh, are, what what kind of effort do you expect from them coming off this spot? What kind of effort would you expect from Northwestern coming off beating Purdue, the number one team in the country, rushing the court? They did all that, and then they played Indiana and beat them. Uh, I mean, these are massive wins. Uh, at some point, there's got to be a letdown, you would think, for this team, uh, who, by the way, this win probably sealed their spot in, in the NCAA tournament. And they get a game against Iowa this weekend. They're probably going to be favored by by a point or two on Sunday. Uh, and with the way Big Ten home court works, mm. I'm certainly not looking to fade them. There's eventually got to be a letdown. You got to find the right spot. I, it could very well be this Iowa game. If not, Illinois on the road after that would be the spot to fade them. Anything else from last night that stick out to you? No, I, I mean obviously the, the the marquee game got got most of my attention last night, mm-hmm. uh, and I, it was 
much needed in my eyes because I was starting to become a little disenchanted uh, with Tennessee. Okay. And so for them to have a performance like that, I think was really necessary. I guess one more to mention is Iowa State in a matchup of two top 25 teams. Iowa State absolutely smashes TCU, and Iowa State continues to have just an elite home court advantage. Uh, I guess the the only other game in the top 25 we didn't really mention, well, Virginia beat Louisville by three. Pretty ugly performance by Virginia. They were favored by 17. Didn't do very well in that game, but get the win. And San Diego State also squeaked by Fresno State on the road, 45-43 in one of the uglier games of the season. 88 points in a college basketball game. Not a lot of fun. What do we got tonight? The aforementioned Purdue Boilermakers. By the way, no system plays tonight i'm oh, sorry bummer. scott uh purdue right now a two-point road favorite at maryland maryland has been a monster at home this is a scary game for purdue doesn't want to go in they don't want to lose back-to-back games i just mentioned the loss to northwestern now they got to go to maryland this is a tough spot for them houston minus 15 and a half at smu houston tends to blow bad teams out of the water yeah they do so it 15 and a half sounds like a lot of points Buyer beware. Florida Atlantic minus four and a half at Middle Tennessee. Florida Atlantic now the 25th ranked team in the country, sitting at 24 and two. Arizona, 10 point favorites at home against Utah. St. Mary's catching, or excuse me, laying 13 and a half at San Diego. Uh, UCLA laying 13 and a half at home against Stanford. And Gonzaga, eight point road favorites at Loyola. And remember, Loyola beat Gonzaga on Gonzaga's mm. home floor, breaking that long streak of home wins for Gonzaga. Uh, I'd expect a motivated effort from the Zags tonight. And some news out of Austin, Texas, where prosecutor dismissed the felony domestic violence case that was pending against former Texas basketball coach Chris Beard. Uh, now, part of it was the victim, his fiance, the alleged victim, Chose not to press charges. Mm. So that goes a long way in it. And I, I don't, this certainly doesn't mean that Chris Beard is innocent of what he was accused. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. But it also, I mean, in our justice system, says there was reasonable doubt that he was guilty. Yeah. Uh, and they decided not to prosecute. Does that mean that, and, and by the way, Chris Beard's never backed off being innocent in this. Like he's always said, no, this, this, this didn't happen the way that they're saying it happened. Chris Beard, no longer employed by the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. I have to assume Chris Beard gets a job, you know, and I would guess we're not talking about like a, a low major job. I, I think that I could see Chris Beard getting a an actually a, a pretty good job uh, this offseason, if not before yeah. this offseason. Well, so I wonder if Chris Beard would be a candidate uh, for – Maybe a, a struggling blue blood, uh, a, a a program that is not going in the direction that they're accustomed to going in. And we know there's a few of these teams out there, AJ, that have not lived up to their expectations. There are, and we'll get to them in just a second. Uh, Duke, uh, Duke, remember, is on a first-year head coach. Mm-hmm. Villanova, remember, on a first-year head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, North Carolina is on a second-year head coach. Um, it, it's It's... I don't know if they're going to punt that quickly. Louisville on a first-year head coach. Uh, but, I mean, he's been so bad, they may not have a choice. But I think Chris Beard would be a great hire for Louisville. Uh, Chris Beard would be a great hire for Ole Miss. 
Uh, Chris Beard will be a great hire for Georgetown, who's about to have to move on from Patrick Ewing. So there's jobs out there that are going to be open that are prominent jobs, and Chris Beard could step into one of those jobs and really make a team that's an afterthought, uh, uh, an instant contender. We've seen his his ability to work the transfer portal. His first year at Texas, he had the he had the best transfer class. So he knows how to do that. He knows how to recruit. He knows X's and O's. The question is, do you want to take a chance on a guy who has had these allegations? Uh, how true, do you, how believable are, are the allegations? And do you want to hire a guy that even brings that stigma? And, you know, it's, it's almost like the Art Bryles thing. Anytime someone tried to buy, uh, try to hire Art Bryles or Kendall Bryles, people got all, oh boy, we don't want this. I wonder how a fan base would react to hiring Chris Beard. Now, AJ, you were starting to compile a list of like your most disappointing teams. And you had mentioned the Blue Bloods, the Kentuckys, North Carolina, Duke. You even throw Villanova in there. And you wanted to break down what went wrong or what is currently going wrong. Oh, it's the, still going. Yeah, with these teams. Well, obviously, coaching has a lot to do with it, right? No Jay Wright. Sure. No, no uh, Coach K. But you wanted to actually detail wh- what the problem is and what you've seen with these teams. Yeah, let's take a look at the disappointing Blue Bloods. Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Villanova. And let's start with where what the preseason thoughts were from Ken Palm, what their preseason Ken Palm ranking was versus where they're at now. Let's start with Villanova. They were 19th preseason in Ken Palm. They are currently 67th <laughs> in Ken Palm. Uh, their opening odds, Mac, what were the opening odds on Villanova? Scrolling, scrolling, because their current odds are so low. Yeah. If I'm, I, I've got 22 to 1. I 22 make sure. to 1. Yep. Okay. Now, they're so. We don't even track them anymore. There's there's a couple sites you can still get Villanova. They're cockroaches because Villanova's not going to make the tournament. They're 300 to 1, basically. They're, Villanova's right now 13 and 13. They are 7 and 8 in the Big East. Uh, it, it, you know what? I'll just go through one at a time, and we'll start with Villanova. And it's, it's a disaster. This is the worst offense that Villanova's had since 2013. They are still 47th nationally in adjusted offense. But this is a team, a program that's been in the top 10 six of the last eight seasons. This is a team that's been built on fluid, efficient offense, and it's just not there this year. The bigger issue is defense, though. The Wildcats haven't been this bad on defense ever (laughs) in the Ken Palm era. Nova has historically played at a really slow place, and that's no different this year. But when you play slow and you stink on D – this is what happens. You you turn into a disaster. And Kyle Neptune, he hasn't uh, he hasn't killed it from an X's and O's standpoint, but his work or lack thereof, I should say, in the transfer portal is really what's kind of kicking this team, in my opinion. Brian Antoine down transferred in the off season. Freshman Angelo Brizzi transferred mid season, and Neptune brought in nothing. From the transfer portal. You pair that with injuries this season. Jordan Longino was interested. Uh, Cam Whitmore, their top report, recruit, was interested, uh, was uh, injured. And depth has been a real issue for, for Nova. They did get Justin Moore back. Uh, he was their best player from last year. Remember, he w- was off an Achilles that he suffered in the Final Four. 
unbelievably, he played his first game on January 29th, which is less than 10 months after he blew his Achilles. He was out on the court. Uh, and he's played six games now. His last game was his best game, posted a 120-0 rating against Butler. And may- maybe as he gets right, you could see Nova making a run. And they've won three straight, but that just seems really unlikely. Basically now, it would take a 180-degree turnaround for Nova to even make the tournament. The problem is they're projected to go 0-5 down the stretch. And the, the Big East is better than it's been in past years. I don't see how Nova finishes above 500 this year. And reading some message boards, uh, we're talking Kyle Neptune might not make it to season two, which would be absolutely shocking given that their last coach was there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then his replacement might get one year and be done. Uh, Nova is Nova's the the lost cause of these teams that we're talking about. There's still like a glimmer of hope for the other blue bloods. Nova, there is no glimmer of hope. Like I, I can't picture a world where they could win the big East, like win the tournament. They're, they're probably the seventh, sixth, seventh best team in that, in the conference. There's just, it can't happen. Let's go to the ACC schools and let's start with the one that's currently in a little bit better form. The Duke blue devils. They are 18 and 8, 9 and 6 in the ACC. Their preseason odds, Mac? Duke Blue Devils favored to win the national title at the beginning of the season, 11 to 1. So they were the preseason favorite. They are not the preseason favorite anymore. What's the current consensus number? 60 to 1. Okay, that's higher. That's a lot higher. <laughs> uh, their Ken Palm number, preseason, they were 15. Current, 41. And this is another example, and I, th- I mean, Villanova is the most glaring example mm-hmm. of how a coach made a program. But the simple answer is what happened, John Shire stinks. He's not a good coach. Uh, simple isn't always right. It, it, like, I don't think he's a good coach, but and I'm sure Duke is already questioning whether they hired the right guy or not. But he, he's had some tough breaks. Notably, they've had some bad injury luck. Jeremy Roach missed four games with an injury. Uh, Derek Whitehead, the number two recruit in the country, uh, first of all, played nothing like that in the first month of the season. And as he was starting to come into his own, he had an injury. They, at first, they thought it was an Achilles, but now he's back and trying to get into some form. He's missed six games this season. But this team is just not right. Duke has been a top 10 offensive or defensive team or both every year but one in the last 20 and that was the year 2021 where they were probably going to miss the tournament anyway and then they they withdrew from the ACC tournament because they had a positive covid test yeah and it kind of saved face because well we could have won the tournament but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know uh this year they are outside the top 30 in both offensive and defensive efficiency they are a really bad three point shooting team they are middle of the pack at two point offense despite playing seven two seven footers pretty much all the time, the only things they do well on offense are rebound and make free throws. And Whitehead's been good, not great. Their other top recruit was seven foot one Derek Lively, who's been—I hate to say this—about a freshman, for, but for the number one recruit in the country, he's close to a bust as you can get. He's fouled out more often than he's put up double-digit points. He has gotten better at the defensive end. Even that was a problem early in the season. Here's the outlook for the Blue Devils. Bracket Matrix currently has Duke as a seven seed. 
The remaining schedule is pretty manageable, mostly because the ACC is down. They had a chance at a couple good road wins the last two or three games. They lost to Miami, though. They lost to Virginia in kind of heartbreaking, maybe unfair fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're still losses, and they eked one out against Notre Dame on Tuesday. I think they can push up to a five or six seed, assuming that – Whitehead keeps keeps getting back into form. I just don't think their coaching or their offense allows them to win more than a game in the tournament. So I see Duke as a one and done. Like they might they might win again. They're not going to weekend two is what is my opinion on them. The other ACC team, North Carolina. Mac, what was the opening number on the Tar Heels this season? So when it opened in April, right after the championship, they were fourteen to one. By the time the season started, they were plus eight fifty. So at that point, were they the favorites? Yes. So I said Duke was the favorite. They were the favorite at the very open, right, when in April. They dicked dick down to, like, second or third favorite by the time the season started. The opposite happened with the Tar Heels. A lot of money coming in in the summer on UNC. And, and it kind of – in a way, it made sense. In a way, it didn't. Well, let's let's start with this. What's the current number on North Carolina? 50 to 1. Okay. So if you got them right before the season started, you were 8.5 to 1. Now you can get them for 50 to 1. Preseason Ken Palm, they were, they were 9 – now they're 38. They're 16 and 10, 8 and 7 in ACC play. This but is that team, the type of team that you look for? Like a team that had expectations coming into the season, didn't live up to them, but then come tournament time becomes the team that they were supposed to be. Sure. And that's a real possibility with them. And and of all these teams, they're the team that I'd probably look to go the furthest in the tournament mm-hmm. if they if they get there. This team they're not significantly worse than they were a year ago, to be honest. That's the crazy thing. They returned four starters from a team that was a national runner-up. Brady Manick is the only one gone. The preseason expectations, though, they shouldn't have been what they were. They should have never been mm. plus 850. Remember, they were an eight seed in the tournament that made it to the final. Like, they weren't some juggernaut all season long. Like, they had a good four-game stretch yeah. in the tournament, and it got them. It got them to the final. Got to play the weakest one seed. Got three upset wins, and and got got to the title game. Analytically, they went from a top sixty-three point shooting team to two hundred eighty-third this year. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big drop off. And the thing that makes North Carolina hard to trust come tournament time is they've been bad against the better teams on their schedule. Their best wins this season, if I were to name the top three wins. Charleston is one of them. That was early in the year. Who? Yeah, it's a, Charleston. It's oh, okay. a good mid-major program, maybe a, likely a tournament team. They beat NC State at home a couple weeks ago. Their next best wins Ohio State in overtime. Ohio State's not going to make the tournament. It would have helped the other day if they won as home favorites, but they lost. Yeah. it would. I mean, that Virginia win would have yeah. helped tremendously. Uh, the positive is they've been relatively solid at home. They're 11 and two at home. They've got some good opponents left at home. Virginia and Duke are both home games. If they can get those, that looks good for them. They have a road game at North Carolina state that that would be a big win for them. Bracket matrix currently has North Carolina as an 11 seed playing in Dayton playing game. Yeah. Lenardi has them on. The last four in line. So same thing. Which would be a playing game, yep. Of all the teams we're talking about here, like I said, I'd give UNC the best chance to make a run in the tournament just because they've been there and done it. They're the most experienced. They've got a, a team size that's hard to match up with. Uh, part of my issue with North, and this is this 
I guess essentially goes back to me saying Hubert Davis isn't really a good coach. But he's gotten to where he says, Caleb Love, you're our best player. The problem is Caleb Love's not their best player. Armando Baycott is. Mm -hmm. So Caleb Love just goes out chucking, and Armando Baycott's trying his best to keep – like. if, Ar- if Armando Baycott wasn't on this team, we'd be talking about them like Villanova. I'm convinced. That's how important he is to what they're doing. Um, I, I, they've got three starters, six, nine or better. They've got a versatile shutdown defender in Leaky Black. So I, they overachieved last year. So I'll be more likely to give them the benefit of the doubt based on their makeup. So, I, again, I'm not high on them by any chance. But if I were to say which of these four teams can make the second weekend, probably my choice. Not my choice would be Kentucky. And Mac, what were the what was the opening number on the Wildcats? Wildcats were twelve to one in April. By the time the season started, they were ten to one, and they are now sixty to one. Ken Palm had them as the preseason number one. <laughs> they are currently forty fourth. They are sixteen and nine, seven and five in the SEC. It, there was a lot of reason to like Kentucky coming into the season. They return the player of the year. And it, like, it, it felt like things were set up. And of all these teams we're talking about, they're the only one who hasn't gone through a major coaching shift in the last two seasons. Yeah. So Calipari is still supposed to be Calipari, except this is the big problem. Well, you know what? We'll get to that. And we'll get to why Calipari is not Calipari right now. The biggest issue with Kentucky is they settle far too often for mid-range shots. The shot quality has Kentucky bottom 20 nationally in rim and three rate, which means they're shooting mid-range shots. Like, they're not getting to the rim. They're not shooting threes. They're settling for junk shots. They don't have anyone who can stretch a defense. Their point guard isn't a shooting threat. <laughs> so their offense basically becomes reliant on, I mentioned the national player of the year, Oscar Shibway, mm-hmm. just cleaning up rebounds and hopefully getting some putbacks. And he's got no offensive game. His offensive game is dunks and putbacks. Like that, that's what he does. He doesn't, he's not uh, getting five feet from the basket. Defensively, this is the second worst team that Kentucky has had in the Calipari era. Jeez. 2013 was the worst D year, and that's the year they went 21-12, lost in the first round of the SEC tournament to Vanderbilt, and then lost to Robert Morris in the first round of the NIT. That wasn't a great year in Kentucky history. Defense clearly matters for Cal. Right now, it's just not good. Kentucky's getting killed by good pick-and-roll teams, mostly because Shibway gets caught in no man's land, and and they're just beating him. The problem is you can't take him off the floor because I just told you, their offense stinks, and he's the only thing that cleans all of that up. So mm-hmm. there, there's really nothing you can do with with Shibway. And this is the this is it, where when I said Cal isn't what he used to be. This is a, a really really low talent level for Calipari. Cal was really the first guy to perfect the one and the one and done method. This team has one player. Projected to get drafted next year, and he's a freshman. Cason Wallace projected as a, a late lottery guy, mostly a defender. Things have been kind of trending this way for a, f- a few years. Calipari has put 33 first rounders in the NBA since he's been at Kentucky, and that's since 2010. In the last five years, he's had one player taken in the top 10. That was Kevin Knox, 2019, went nine. 
His first eight seasons, he had 12 taken in the top 10, including three number one overalls, Wall, AD, Carl Anthony Towns, and never had a season that he didn't have a top 10 player. Well, you wonder if the, 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 the playing field has been evened out with NIL and other things. And Maybe. so, you know, whatever Calipari was doing in recruiting, now everyone can but do, do you it. But <laughs> do you think if, they, like, would, would, of all the fan bases, do you think Kentucky would be the one, the donor oh, yeah. base, that'd be like, no, we're sure. not paying players, please. They've been playing, they were paying players before paying players well, that's, was cool. That, well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, Calipari was able to, to get away with stuff that other schools weren't, and now everyone's just able to free-for-all. And kids don't have to go to Kentucky to get the perks that they can get staying closer to home or going anywhere Maybe. else. But it's always been, well, if you play for Coach Cal, you're going to go to the NBA. You're going to go to the NBA. You're going to be yeah. a top-ten pick, and you're probably going to have a chance to win a championship while you're there. Now this crew, there's probably not a top 10 pick. There's almost zero. Well, I guess it's 60 to one that they could win the championship, Mm -hmm. but almost no chance. And now like people are calling for Calipari's job. They just lost. They they just lost to Georgia. They lost at home to Arkansas. Uh, They've got some injuries right now. CJ Frederick, severe Wheeler on the shelf. Uh, That's their backcourt dynamic is, is really thrown off right now. Bracket Matrix currently has Kentucky out of the field. Joe Lenardi currently has them first four out. They are going to be favored in two of their last six games. They're going to need a deep tournament run, or they're going to have to go, I would say, at worst five and one down the stretch to to make the field. Hmm. Uh, I don't believe this team is built for the tournament. I don't think that they can score. Um, I, I think that they are a, a broken team. So I, even at 60 to one, like normally you think, wow, I can get, if Calipari gets in, I take my shot with them. It's like, I don't even, they, I don't see any value in them at 60 to one. Like the uh, North Carolina at 50 to one is so much better than Kentucky at 60 to one. And they're both, I mean, one's first four in one or one's last four in one's first four out. So they're very close as far as seeding goes. Kentucky probably, if anything, has an advantage down the stretch because they play in a, a a tougher conference, so they've got a chance for better wins. But I I, I have got no interest in Kentucky going forward. So there you go, just a a quick rundown of what's happened to these teams. There's a couple other teams that were in the top 25 preseason Ken Palm who have dropped dramatically. We're not going to spend much time on them, but number 20, Virginia Tech, is now at number 60. What's what's Virginia Tech's title odds at this point, Mac? Is it uh, Are they off the map, basically? Yes, we don't track teams that are higher than 100 to 1. They crossed that threshold uh, in January. Yeah, I, and Texas Tech, who was 21st, is now 63rd. I can assure you we're not tracking their title odds. Dayton was 24th preseason in Ken Palm. They are now 72nd. In Ken Palm, so uh, it kind of, yeah, it didn't work mm-hmm. out that way. Like, and it was kind of a cute pick. Yeah, uh, that ain't that ain't the truth of them. While recording the Dream Preview podcast last night, AJ, you and I stole RJ away, and we wanted to talk to him about a conversation that we had on yesterday's show, which was talking about the Eagles coordinators yep. getting jobs. Shane Steichen, who's now going to be the head coach of the Colts. Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles DC, is now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And the other coaching coordinator moves, head coaching moves around the NFL. Here was our conversation last night with R.J. Bell. 
I don't know. I think I don't think just because the Eagles won a couple of playoff games, all of a sudden their coaches are the best. I would never, unless I thought we had an all timer, you know, like Belichick on, you know, when he was with Parcells. I don't think I want to hire the hot guy of the moment because, in a weird way, you know he's going to be overpriced. This is like the definition of what's the odds of Philly being in the Super Bowl next year if he they would have stayed? Not, not fine, but not great. So here's the question, in my opinion: if if you if you don't really like these coordinators, you must think Sirianni's like a really great head coach. Mm. Or we can say they're not getting hired to be coordinators; they're getting hired to be head coaches, which yeah. is an entirely different job. That's true. Like think about it. you did a PD's job and you were on air. Yeah. Those were very different jobs. <laughs> yes. But somehow they thought because you were on air, you could do the PD yeah. job. But you could because you have talent. But it's like, it's not. It wasn't easy. It's like, there's so many things in all. It's almost like with the presidency. The the job you need to be great at to win it is very different than the, jo- the, the job to run the country. To yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I understand that the trend now is to take these young coaches yeah. that are players type coaches. But you have one 37-year-old and one 40-year-old that. The, the coordinator job in Philly, it's the first time that they were ever in charge of a unit on a team, and now they have to run an entire no, Steichen, team? Steichen was OC in, in L.A. for the Chargers. For one year. Yeah. How'd that go? Under what? Uh, that was Herbert's first year. Anthony Lynn? Yeah. Wasn't good. Yeah. So Steichen's had three years as a coordinator. Gannon's had two years as a, as a coordinator. And I don't, I can't even judge their coordinating, right? That's not my job. I'm not good enough with access and notes. But what I know is being a head coach is more than that. Yeah, I, don't you, I, I, whatever happened to hiring guys that have been like assistant head coaches when or, we, you know, have been running like units and meetings and practices for like for a, a decade? Yeah, a long time. We talked about this on SOVM yesterday. If, D'Amico Ryans has the same amount of experience as, as a defensive coordinator as, uh, the, as Gannon. Gannon. And it feels like so, I trust D'Amico Ryans higher so much more than I trust Gannon's higher. Yeah, but the, I also like it for another reason. Houston is on a longer timeline, right? Whereas if they're in the playoffs in three years, they're a static. Houston gets to build. Yeah, they've been building for two years. Yeah, now, yeah. Or there was a prelude, and now it starts. But what, regardless, it feels like Ryan's going to be coming in his own right around when the team's coming into their own. It feels like the Colts, in theory, this was a play, This was a team some people picked to be in the Super Bowl you know, before last year. Well, the, Gannon, the Cardinals is who we're talking. Well, well I'm talking about both these coordinators. Oh. What I'm saying is there's a lot. This is a, the general trend, would you agree, of guys that are young that don't have a ton of coordinating experience either becoming head coaches. Yeah. I mean, Denver was a good example of that, wasn't it? The best example of it. I Would mean, you go over or under both teams' win totals next year? I think I go under on both of them. And I don't even know who the quarterback of the Colts is going to be. You know what's interesting is some, I think it, with different team levels, different things matter. I think motivation matters a lot when a team's kind of bad. And in a in a weird way, I, as much as I think the Colts had a lot of expectations this year, I just think they're going to be bad. Yeah. And maybe the, the both these guys seem to be good motivators. These young guys all are press savvy. They all seem to know. You know, Sirianni didn't talk very well. And yeah. Maybe he's a good coach. I don't know. I don't think it's a short thing. But here's the question: Nick Fan or Vic Fangio can't get a job. But in Denver. They were like 500 every year, except they didn't have a quarter. Like, yeah. literally, you didn't even give him a chance with a real quarterback. Like, he wasn't deciding. He was, it was Elway, and it was, as some would say, General Patton there that was making decisions. And they said, hey, here's, I mean, who, who was his quarterbacks? Joe Locke? Flacco. 
Flacco? Drew, yeah, Drew Locke, Joe, Joe Flacco. Uh, uh, Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, he it was bad. But he still went like almost 500 over his tenure. Yep. I think that's a good coach. Well, Belichick's going about 500 with not great quarterbacks yet. Should he get fired? <laughs> Tell me the guy teams that win a lot of games without good quarterbacks. And if somehow Debo can do it, um, or Debo can do it consistently, mm-hmm. he'll be one of the best coaches ever because it just doesn't happen. Who does it? And that's why I think Chip Kelly got a bum deal. <laughs> you really think about it, he did. But the league caught up to him. But, yeah, it's I love – you can feel stupid maybe putting all your – a big chunk of your life into football, like me, I'm saying. But I love it because of this is no matter what happens – the whole league, as a collective IQ, is trying to stop what just happened that they couldn't. And it's very rare. Even Mahomes and Tyreek Hill got stopped. It was like the two high last mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we got to do something different. Now's yep. the time. I mean, that's awesome. And the fact they could do it yeah. is even more awesome. And then yep. the fact that the Chiefs can then adjust and do something different this year. It's a game of chess on grass, some would say. <laughs> I've heard that. Fez used to play chess, but smoke a J. But that's... I don't even buy that. It messed up his computational abilities. <laughs> All right, so anything else? What do we got? We got uh, well, Fangio did go to Miami. Yep, DC. That's a nice hire, I think. I because, agree because it feels like the Wade Phillips situation. Highest paid coordinator in the league. What now? What is that? Is it ten? Not ten. It's seven. I'm bad guessing. Uh, I didn't. I don't know if I saw a number. I just saw the highest paid. I would bet it's higher than seven. Wow. He's got, let's see. McKenzie with a good quote. Quote, a savage ballet attributed to Lisa Simpson. <laughs> it's a three-year <laughs> deal. How about that? Uh, for Fangio with an option for a fourth. Nope, four and a half million per. That's a good number. That's but, a very good number. So, so I would have thought more. So the line coach at Alabama makes 900000 The line, The O-line, O-line coach. And... Vic Fangio is making four, but I then in a weird now. Oh, okay, I remember now. So apparently they paid uh, the Cowboys with their DC, right? Um, the Seattle uh, coach, and then he was Atlanta's coach. Oh, Quinn, Dan Quinn. Yeah, Dan Quinn is Quinn. I guess this just shows how self-involved I am that I don't like even take that. Like it would take like four seconds to let a name sink in, but I don't. I just keep like I'll hear it thirty times and just keep going. Like okay, and but anyway. But you knew Lisa Simpson. Yeah, I can like quote where he was, but I can't <laughs> quote his name. But no, I read Lisa Simpson. But um, I think Quinn got seven or eight this year, and it was the biggest like coordinator ever. And it was like they, and and uh, I think Lombardi was talking about that. I don't know if it's announced or not. Were they? Yep, sent? four point five per year. Who? Quinn? Dan Quinn. Well, then, see, that doesn't sound right. So is that the base? And what kind of – I mean, I guess you don't know. Yeah. Uh, my my understanding is and, – and the thing about Lombardi is he usually – he'll speculate, but he'll be very clearly speculating. But when he talks about a number or things that he's talking with certainty, though people could always be wrong, but 95% yeah. certainty – to me, it's he's got good information. It might be wrong occasionally, but he's got information he trusts and believes in. And he's saying it was like you know over seven. So meaning that we don't really know even with the head coaches, right? They're not obligated to put that out. Those, yeah, those contracts it, don't become public. And and it's weird because you know the reports are that Vic Fangio is the highest paid defense or highest paid coordinator in NFL history. But I, I'm seeing three years, four point five million, and that's exactly what Dan Quinn got. So maybe that's what they did was to say, we want to quell shit. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I do think 
it's analogous to what the Rams did when they originally hired McVay. I finally got the name. Is <laughs> All they had to do was win a Super Bowl. Yeah, now I'll remember uh, your name. Uh, you, buddy, I'm going to remember you, <laughs> McVay. If that is your real name. is <laughs> Todd McVay. <laughs> I don't like your draft coverage. But <laughs> but I'm going to trust that you can probably take this Rams to the Super Bowl. But Belichick will get you. <laughs> the um, He wasn't ready to be a head coach. He was a super talent, McVay. So what they did, Wade Phillips, they brought in a guy, paid him big, mm-hmm. and he pretty much ran the defense. I mean, yeah. it was like he ran half, a third of the team. And McVay could focus on what he had to learn. And then once he was ready to dip his toe over there, thanks, Wade, for your service, yep. and brought in a young guy, which was your boy. Yeah. Staley. Staley. I, I got his name straight. Yeah. Well, you've berated me with him enough. You well, are. When you, when you have disdain. I don't mind Staley. I just hate the people that love Staley. Well, I think he's a dope. <laughs> well, anyone that you listen. I think he's making my guy look bad. Did you ever hear the it. fall guy? Well, there's a fall guy. Yeah. Was anyone standing ahead of me, uh, he's, your boy? He's my hers. human shield. I said Kellen Moore was McCarthy's human shield. <laughs> Staley's mine to protect Herbs. How's it going? We'll see. (laughs) All right, boys. Elsewhere in NFL news, Jaguars wide receiver Calvin Ridley applies for reinstatement, which I assume will be granted since his punishment was already overkill. And it's funny because it's been easy to forget about Calvin Ridley's existence. And, you know, we've talked about Trevor Lawrence and the, the jump that he made from year one to year two. Boy, this is a nice thing to to have, you know, waiting in the wings for you for year three. It, whatever natural progression you were going to make, it, it only seems like it could be improved by having a guy like Calvin Ridley out there. I would agree. I think that this is – he's going to be an attractive name to look at next season as far as the, the prop market goes. Trevor Lawrence should get a boost, depending on if Calvin Ridley is the same type of player that he was. Remember, we haven't seen him in a while. He took that mental yeah. health break, so – uh, curious to see what Ridley looks like on the field, but I, I think that this can only be good for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and, and I think it can only be good for Calvin Ridley because, let's face it, the last couple years of Matt Ryan weren't anything to write home about. So Calvin Ridley playing with an up-and-coming quarterback who who looks like he's you know quickly going to be in the in the maybe not the top tier, but in that second tier, which isn't a bad place to be. Uh, this could be a, a a really fun offense the next couple of years. And now our NBA expert, Mackenzie Rivers, joins us on the program. And Mackenzie, Joel Embiid said after the win last night that he doesn't think he's going to be able to play in the All-Star game. He says, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not healthy. I haven't been healthy for the past three weeks or month. I was just trying to get Poor to the guy. All-Star break without missing games and stuff, but I feel like I've reached the point where I need to follow the doctor's advice. Back then, he said I should have been sitting for two weeks, so we'll see how the next few days go and go from there. So, A, let's let's address both sides of this thing. I think it's, uh, listen, for Joel Embiid to be playing through injury, that's a lot more than a lot of other superstars in the league are willing to do right now. Uh, but what does this say about how he's played lately? And what does this say about the the ceiling for the Sixers if it is indeed an injured Joel Embiid? I think it's a great sign for the Sixers. As someone that has an over 50 and a half wins on the Sixers, I'm excited about this. Because he's played excellent. He's third in the league by uh, estimated plus minus. And he's hurt. Only behind Jokic and Donkic. I mean, he's one of the best players in the NBA. And this is also encouraging from the fact that he said at the end of last year, man, at the end of the season, I'm so beat up, I can barely walk like 
okay, that's great that you're still playing, but how can we optimize your performance down the stretch? This is one way to do it. Take a week off. I'm really happy about it. Yeah, he was uh, named as a replacement for Kevin Durant for, as a starter. As a starter, and he's like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be playing. I'm just, try, I'm trying to get. And he's help. not an All Star game player. He's not doing crazy, you know, backflips or shooting long range threes. He's a post guy. So well, and if you've got a beat up foot, the last thing you want to do is be playing a game at that pace, yes, running exactly. up and down the court. Okay. Like, yeah, you don't want to play a pickup game, a schoolyard right. game. Yeah, so this is a. It, it feels like Joel Embiid needs and deserves a break at this point. Uh, I think this is a, the right thing for him to do and stay healthy here. So, and it seems like his team kind of understands as well. But I got to give him credit because doctors said he should have been sitting out for like he should have sat out for two weeks to try and get right. Doc Rivers didn't say that. And, and <laughs> oh yeah, that was a different doc. Uh, but <laughs> the fact, out here playing. <laughs> but the fact that he's out here playing and, and and like you said, playing at a high level. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, player of the month in January. Uh, that says a lot about Joel Embiid. Man, that's like in a, it's a rare thing in today's NBA for sure. Uh, Who's let's, making the new look Lakers? Yeah, <laughs> let, let's talk still, about the Lakers. Still in Doc Rivers mode. Sorry. Who the, the Lakers had? <laughs> Lakers had their. Uh, I guess this is their full complement. The new Lakers. What do you make of their performance? Win and cover looked you know pretty dominant. LeBron James, seven for 14, 21 points. He was one of their guys. You know, D'Angelo Russell also 21 points. Anthony Davis, 28 points. I think so far this season, it's been kind of LeBron-centric. Sometimes it had to be with the guys they were throwing out there. But if you look at this roster, Vanderbilt, Beasley being the other starters, they have enough talent to be a playoff team. And this, and they're probably energized by the fact that uh, they made these deals. Westbrook isn't a distraction. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a balanced team. They're much better than they've shown so far this season. So sitting five games under 500, what's the like? What's your expectation where they finish as might, far as seeding goes? It might be goes? too late. It might, I mean, it's, it could be three points better, and it might be too late. NBA 538 has them at 33% chance, so that jumped you know, 5% with the win from yesterday. But The good thing is right now they are, they're 14 games out of first place. Uh the Oklahoma City Thunder are 12 games out of first place, and that is the 10 seed. So that would get them into the play-in. And I'll tell you what, man, like and we can look at the the Warriors would be in a play-in situation. The Mavericks would be in a play-in situation. I feel like those are dangerous teams. I feel like the Lakers could be just another dangerous team, Just especially when you look at the top of the West – the Nuggets, who have not proven to have been able to win in the playoffs. The Grizzlies, who are a young and kind of unproven team. The Sacramento Kings, who are definitely unproven. Like It feels like a team like the Lakers or the Mavericks or the Warriors, who could be a lower seed early on in the playoffs, are going to be more dangerous than usual this year. No doubt. The only team, I th only teams, I think, from a talent perspective, are clearly better than the Lakers are the Suns, once they get to Kevin Durant back, and the L.A. Clippers. Uh, L.A. Clippers have, you know, disappeared every spring through injury or whatever. Right. And the Suns, they have never, they've never played together. So West is wide open. Lakers could, you know, make some noise. Are the Nets a fun team now? Michael Bridges scores 45 last night in, in a Nets <laughs> win. Like, it just seems like it's going to be a different guy every night that's going to be scoring a ton of points. And they're, they're fun. Yeah, it's funny. Sleepy Jay, we were talking on the NBA pod yesterday, said the same thing. Like, all these players are kind of ballers. You know, yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, they, they have like 10 guys. Uh, that like to get up and down and play good basketball. Right, were they able to find Ben Simmons minutes? That's the question. That's... <laughs> 20 minutes, a bump up from 13 minutes. Okay, in the game yeah. Before, hey, so. they've said they were going to focus on But how many him. shots did he take? 
exactly the same. Two shots, one for two. <laughs> hey, fifty percent ain't bad. That's right. Maybe, hey, maybe keep it rolling, up a baby. Couple more. Uh, on the schedule tonight, it's a short slate in the association. But you got a TNT doubleheader. The Bucks minus seven and a half at the Chicago Bulls. Wizards plus three and a half at Minnesota. And McKenzie just mentioned the two most talented teams in the West, the L.A. Clippers plus one and a half at Phoenix. And I love, 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 love the Clippers. One of my favorite plays in a while. Chris Paul does really well in some games. Not going to do well in this game. The way they play defense, they're going to force him to shoot. He's not. That's not what he does right now. When they get Kevin Durant back, they'll be a balanced team. Right now, they're beatable, exposable. We're going to see it uh, tonight. Clippers plus one and a half. So I tweeted something out last uh, night, or I guess yesterday afternoon, and uh, apparently uh, I'm, I'm getting a nice following here because it, it appeared that after I tweeted something out, some other people from reputable outlets started oh, tweeting and some out about cats. it. Yeah. They obviously gave you credit. No, no, no. credit. But um, I, I had mentioned that you know the Maple Leafs were minus 650. And how it's even higher than it was yesterday morning when oh, we yeah, were talking. You, well, it was like minus four fifty five. You could have gotten so what'd you CLV, with? Uh with the Rangers oh. and Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> so let's go. You could have uh, you could have got some massive CLV. But it's funny how like people that don't normally talk about hockey all of a sudden like were like wow, tweeting out things about the Maple Leafs being minus six fifty and how high those odds were. I mean those odds were there all day, but no one was talking about it until I tweeted. Come on now. Anyway, <laughs> I tweeted out. I did a little killer sports research as Mackenzie, you helped us with uh, on yesterday's show, NHL favorites of minus 400 or greater, 8-1 and one on the season. The only loss was Toronto as a minus 550 favorite against Arizona. It was also the only game this season where a team was minus 500 or greater. So the Maple Leafs last night were minus 650. Someone had asked me, what's the first period line? Because in the first period of those games, coincidentally, also 8-1. and one, And the only loss was also that Toronto game against Arizona. I had people asking me, do we play the team total? Is that the way to play this? And I said, well, if you want to lay minus 255 on over 3.5, you could. But maybe over 4.5 at minus 110. And then I decided to examine how many of the teams of those nine games that were minus 400 or greater how many of them scored five or more goals? The answer coming into last night, only four of those nine. So less than half had scored five or more goals. Well, add another one to the list. The Maple <laughs> Leafs win 5-2. It was 3-1 after the first period. It then became a 3-2 game. And, and I thought, man, this is a chance. Which that's probably the Chicago best thing for it, it, right? If If it was... If it was three one and and then it went to four one, the likelihood that you're getting that fifth goal gets less. Yeah, and less, it's not right? happening. So, so it, the, yeah. them scoring that second goal was probably the best thing that could have happened if you liked the over four and a half. Well, and what was crazy was uh, Chicago scored forty nine. Well, first of all, Toronto scores nine seconds into the game. That makes you Literally. feel good about a bet. Right and you're there. like, I got a minus, I got a minus six fifty favorite here. Maybe That's I, like the, the I laid the kickoff going back for a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I laid the puck line. Like I laid the minus one and a half at minus two hundred. <laughs> Who cares? They scored nine seconds into the game. You're like, this game's over. Got him. But you know what? Less than a minute later, Chicago tied it. Oh no. Yeah, and then Toronto. And now you're thinking, did I just jinx myself? Exactly. Did I just reverse exactly. like, history right here? Toronto scores two goals. It's three one after the first. Chicago scores 46 seconds into the second period. 
Good bounce back from a uh, good response from Toronto. Adds two more goals, no scoring in the third period, but uh, 42 shots on goal for Toronto. They win 5-2 and cover as minus 650 favorites. The Coyotes upset the Lightning in a shootout at the Mullet Arena. The money line, I guess the consensus that you could have gotten on Arizona last night to win as a dog, about plus 200, That'll maybe do. a little higher. Uh, crazy part, if you look at the box score in this game, 47 shots for Tampa. Connor Ingram stopped all 47 of them. He's not, he's not even their starter. Uh, the Red Wings upset the Oilers. You say that's a good percentage? Decent, 100. <laughs> Red Wings bad. upset the Oilers in Edmonton. Consensus odds there was about plus 200. So this would have been a bad night for a money line parlay on the favorites in the league. Uh, you had to be smart with the favorites. Okay. Like if you, But if you were looking at it saying, who do I want to parlay the Maple Leafs with? And you were like, Psh, lightning against the Coyotes. And Easy the Oil- money. And the Oilers at home against the Red Wings. Yeah, you're just using those to boost your parlay odds. Yeah. A couple hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah good no, luck. No, what you should have done was played the Rangers, like I said, who wins six to four against the Canucks? Uh, the Canucks had a goaltender making his NHL debut last night. Uh, he made 22 saves out of 27 shots, and the Rangers, their top players continue to score. Chris Kreider, their top line, Chris Kreider scored a goal. Uh, Mika Zibanejad had two goals. There uh, and Chris and um, on this uh, Tarasenko had an assist. And then Panarin, who slid down to the second line where he scored four goals the other game, scored two goals and an assist. So everything is just coming up all Rangers right now. They've won now six straight games. I actually ran a query last night going into this game, McKenzie. You'll appreciate this. I'm I'm getting good with this stuff. So teams riding winning streaks in the NHL this season of five or more games, and they are favored in their next game. So the sixth game, they're a favorite. Right. 31 and 16. Make that now 32 and 16 with the Rangers winning. But if you shorten the sample size to make it a favorite of minus 150 or greater, which the Rangers were, it was like minus 190. That sample improved to 18 and seven. Now make it 19 and seven. With the Rangers winning there. So minus 150, you should win about 60% of the time. Now we're at 19 and 7, mm-hmm. 74%. That's plus EV. That's so if you're looking, teams that are now on a uh, five game winning streak or more, and you're looking at what they are doing in their next game. If you're just looking around the league, the Rangers, who are on that six game winning streak, that is the longest winning streak right now in the NHL. The next longest streak is a four game winning streak by. The Detroit Red Wings. Very, very interesting. Let's take a look at the schedule for tonight. You have the Canadians at the Hurricanes. Carolina minus 440. Okay. If this holds still at minus 400 or greater, we have to go back to what I tweeted out yesterday, which is NHL favorites of minus 400 or greater are now 9-1 and one on the season and all uh, or five of the 10 games, they scored five goals. So if you're looking at Carolina. Don't they win by three goals also like every game? like you, They cover the puck line. The winners, all the winners have yeah. covered the puck line. 
The only, yeah, all, all the winners have covered the puck line. So you look at Carolina, minus 440. That holds true with the trend. Uh, Winnipeg is minus 205 at the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's probably not going to be Elvis. He's played twice in a row, AJ. He needs, he needs a break. Uh, the Panthers are at the Capitals. Florida minus 120. Washington will still be without Alexander Ovechkin. The Bruins at the Predators. Boston minus 178. The Red Wings, who are now playing the second night of a back-to-back. They've won four straight games. They're in Calgary. Calgary is minus 267. So Detroit looking for another win as a dog here. Devils are at the Blues. New Jersey minus 155. The Flyers at the Kraken. Seattle minus 205. And here in town, the Vegas Golden Knights hosting the Sharks. VGK minus 210. Do yourself a favor and head on over to pregame.com and jump on board a variety of daily and season-long packages we have available. Best bets galore in the NBA College basketball, NHL, and coming up this weekend, the XFL. Let's go. Take 20% off <laughs> pregame.com using the coupon code AJ20. If you didn't use it yesterday, use it today. AJ20, get your 20% off anything you'd like at pregame.com. For Mackenzie Rivers, AJ Hoffman, RJ Bell, I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas. AM. 